Welcome to the Guardian Podcast with Ren Melberg. My name's Harold Nichol. This week on the podcast, Ren will help us understand and recognize the qualities of an agile organization and what really makes for an agile organization. So, Ren, can you share with us what is an agile organization or the characteristics of an agile organization so that we know one when we see it? Sure. Um, so often we think being an agile organization just means that you have some agile or scrum teams, and it actually is a lot more than that. And the professionals like me are pretty adamant that to really call yourself an agile organization, you have to have a couple of things. One of them is automated testing. Another is continuous um, automated integration. And the last one is um, a, a prioritized investment decisioning. Sometimes we'll call that a prioritized portfolio or enterprise backlog. Um, but for people who are more accustomed to a waterfall thinking, um, we often refer to it as investment decisioning. And I'll go into these a little bit more in that Without automated testing and without automated continuous integration, your scrum teams are never going to achieve their full capabilities and their full velocity. Mm-hmm. Never. Um, and they also will never meet their, their highest level of quality. It's just not possible with manual testing and manual integration. And then the other piece is the investment decisioning. And we have a huge... Emphasis in Agile on having prioritizing our work and having a prioritized backlog. And this should go all the way up to the board um, mm-hmm. to be an Agile organization. So when you think of the things that Agile optimizes for, business value and quality, those three main things you absolutely need to have at an enterprise or organizational level to be able to call yourself an Agile organization versus an organization that has a few agile teams. Yeah, it sounds like there's some some definite things that they have to have and more to it than simply declaring yourself agile, but for a novice it's it's easier to recognize the non-agile organization as they embrace the old command and control. What are the cues for spotting the truly agile organization? Well, it, it's those elements, but it's contrasted with um, when you go to a company's website, do they have, um, they all have a handful of their objectives for this year, for any given year, right? Mm-hmm. But are they prioritized or are they all lumped in together? If they're prioritized and it's clear what the prioritization is, you probably have a good hint from the outside that that's an Agile organization or at least one that has Agile thinking going on. And if they're all lumped together, probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, because not all business value is equal. We all know that, right? Right, right. <laughs> You can get two paychecks from two different employers. If the amounts are different, they're not equal. <laughs> they're both, both paychecks are business value, but not all business value is equal. And even if we take it down a little bit deeper and you get paid, 
you know, $1,000 a week from one employer and $1,200 a week from the other employer, but you work 40 hours for $1,000 and you have to work 65 hours for the 1200 even those aren't equal. So true. Right. That's You're working exactly a lot right. harder for that extra $200. And, <laughs> you know, so if you do a pure business value um, equation on that, you're going to go work for the guy who's going to let you with 40 hours for $1,000, right? Because Absolutely. you're making a lot less. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> exactly right. You're making a lot more per hour, right? And if a company is thinking in those terms, you can see it just in, and I do this all the time. I've mentioned this before. Before I go to a new client, I look at their website and I look at their annual reports. Mm-hmm. Because it's glaring in those two documents if it, this really is an agile organization or not. Yeah, that's. I think that's good advice to to look at the to the at the annual report and to that point and to drill a bit deeper into the nuts and bolts of real world work. Are agile teams the exclusive domain of IT? Often they are thought that way, aren't they? I mean, we always think of developers and testers, developers and testers, and forget that an Agile team is supposed to be truly cross-functional. And so that every team has business representation as far as the PO, and they have process and methodology representation as the Scrum Master. And the truth is, and we've talked about this, an Agile team needs to have on it every single skill, or role necessary to deliver a specific set of user stories or features. Mm -hmm. And I've worked in organizations where that meant we had to have a compliance person on our Agile team. That's not unusual um, in financial services or healthcare, for Mm -hmm. example. Um, I've worked with, in healthcare, we frequently have had um, a nurse practitioner um, or sometimes a physician assistant on a, on scrum teams because we need that level of very specific medical knowledge to be able to deliver the user stories or the features that we're doing. You'll see that also when we're doing projects that that are looking at a particular domain, so mm-hmm. like human resources or things like that. You'll also have someone on the scrum team representing that point of view. Yeah, that that of course makes abundant sense, just like always. Um, so with the MVP way, and uh, MVP, of course, minimum valued product, the MVP way of introducing new products to the marketplace and the fast pace of Agile teams, it seems like if other parts of the organization were not at least aware of what the team was doing, it would create troubles for the team, would it not? It could, absolutely. So when we think back to the first thing, one of the three characteristics of an Agile organization is that prioritized enterprise or portfolio backlog. Every single person in the company should know what that is. Mm -hmm. And when I've worked with and helped companies become truly Agile organizations, they do get to that point where every single employee can tell you what the top three priorities are for the company at any given time. And they know when we've satisfied one and when we've pulled in a new one and we're working on that one now. 
Um, so it, it really does have a huge impact on an organization and their ability to deliver really quick to market and deliver high quality if everybody in the organization knows what these top priorities are and at least has a conceptual idea of what the minimum viable product is for each of them. Mm-hmm. Depending on their role, they may not need to know the details. Like human resources doesn't need to know the details of the MVP for an autonomous car, right? Because right. they don't actually contribute to that product. But compliance better know, and data better know, (laughs) infrastructure better know. There's a lot of other people who are contributing to the success of that particular product, and so they need to know what's going on. Well, you mentioned HR, and that brings me to another question. How does anyone persuade HR or the legal department or accounting to join and participate in the Agile framework with individual teams? Deep breath, because this is where I might get in trouble for some brutal honesty, which I'm known for my just being honest about these things. Um, The truth is accounting is probably one of the easiest groups to persuade. Um, A lot of it is driven by their inherent capitalism. Mm-hmm. And we've talked before about how agile organizations have significantly higher capitalization, which means they have a lot more to invest, their market cap is higher, blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Accountants love that. Okay, so when I go in and I show them the capitalization model for agile um, versus non-agile organizations, accountants go crazy and they can't get it fast enough. Legal, and especially those who uh, interface directly with um, products, hugely prefer Agile and working with Agile teams because the requests that they're getting from the teams to review things are in small batches. Mm -hmm. They can usually review the specs or the, the terms and conditions and things like that in a day or two at most. And versus waterfall where they get these huge behemoth batches of work that needs to be done in a really short period of time. Mm-hmm. Legal is also in compliance is the same thing. Compliance loves user stories. Huh. The governance is at such a small, manageable level that it is makes their job so much easier when you're working with audit and compliance. Here's the brutal honesty. Okay. The absolute last people to get on board to an agile organization is HR. And we just have to take that name, human resources. Right. That's part of the problem. We don't have resources in agile. We have people. And we recognize that they're people. And they're rewarded and their success comes from working on a team. HR is very geared towards treating everyone the same because you're a cog in the machine, you're a resource, you're not a person. Yeah. And their entire traditional framework is about pitting people against each other. You're yes. competing against each other for jobs. You're competing against each other for bonuses. You're competing against each other for promotions. They're always pitting the resources against each other. Mm-hmm. And everything they do in the traditional um, HR framework and methodology completely go- undermines and goes against Agile. 
And the organizations that have worked to get to that truly agile organization level, they've always found HR the hardest to work with, the last ones to get on board, Mm -hmm. and having the biggest impact on the overall transformation. When HR is on board, it is stunning to see the transformation in the organization, the velocity, the quality, everything that you want to increase and get better does. I can believe it. Yeah, I can believe it. And just for the benefit of listeners, it's thundering here. That's what you're hearing. It's not my stomach. (laughs) That's what that was. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's thundering here. So uh, another late summer storm. (laughs) Boy, yeah, another in a long string. And you know, um, all I can say with respect to your comments about human resources is amen and preach on, because um, we're not we're not electricity or water or um, things to be managed like raw materials, they're people. Yeah. And right. um, all I can say, like and I say, amen. Exactly. And I feel bad for HR people because I know some incredibly talented ones and they all went into HR because of they want to help people. Yes. But it, the traditional HR framework doesn't work well in an agile organization. Because of its competitive nature. So you've everything about Agile is collaboration. Everything about traditional HR framework is competitive. Yep. And yep. They, they don't they don't work well together. They don't marry. No, unhappily they don't. And um I, I just I just would pile on and say, heck yeah <laughs> with respect to that. <laughs> So, but with this in mind, how do decision-making hierarchies work in the Agile organization compared to, I guess, the Agile wannabes or places where Agile is only used for for product development? This seems like a recipe for conflict. It is hard for organizations, especially executives and boards, to go away from the traditional dictatorial decision making and it's mm-hmm. really kind of interesting I remember my first C-suite job and I had a mentor um, who was a CIO and I was struggling because there's this perception that if you're an executive then you're in control of everything mm-hmm. and over dinner one night he explained to me that as an executive you're in control of nothing you control nothing mm-hmm. you can only influence and that all control is an illusion. Wow. And once you accept that, your life is a lot happier. And he was a thousand percent correct. <laughs> That's possible. It isn't technically, but we're going to go with a thousand percent correct. Right. And organizations, traditional organizations try so hard to maintain that illusion of control. Mm-hmm. And the truth is with an agile organization and we have like the safe model is a really good model. It's not perfect. Perfection is not an option, but it's a really good model for, for, um, creating a lean decision making mm-hmm. for your investment decisions. There's only three levels of decision making in faith. And it works in these incredibly huge organizations like Nokia and John Deere and so many others. 
only three levels. Think of the traditional levels of hierarchy for decision-making. I remember being at one financial services company, a $65 billion company, and we had at least nine, if I remember correctly, levels of decision-making. Man. And to be able to get to three, it's like, oh. (laughs) And the other thing about the Agile model is it's bi-directional. So the scrum teams are contributing to the backlog and the decision making. It's not just top down. Mm -hmm. It's in both directions. And so it is a little hard for people to adapt to at first because we're so conditioned to get top down direction and it requires coaching and I strongly encourage organizations to get outside coaching coaches to come in and coach your people at every single level of the organization to speak up to yeah, learn to speak up yeah nine levels sounds like a wide awake nightmare I've seen companies that were worse Ugh. well <laughs> man so anyway One of the other objections I've read about organizational Agile adoption is that Agile will only work with star performers. These people, it's said, would succeed under any system and deliver results regardless. And I'm really hoping, Ren, that you'll tell me that this is not true. It's not true. (sighs) That hasn't been my experience at all. And when working with um, other Agile professionals like myself, we've had this conversation. What we've actually found is the opposite is true. Star performers often don't like Agile, Hmm. um, but it depends on, you know, and and there's a distinction between high-performing, high-potential performers. Mm -hmm. Versus star performers. Star performers are accustomed to accolades of attention, mm-hmm. individual recognition. When you think about that, someone who needs individual external validation is not going to do well on a scrum team. Good point. That's because good point. the whole team succeeds or fails together. What I've found is Agile 1 well, and we've talked about this before, will uncover your low performers. You cannot have, hide in Agile. Yes. You, you can hide a lot of sins in Waterfall, but you can't <laughs> hide very long in Agile. Right. And the other thing is it creates a framework where people who are typically called, you know, considered your mediocre or your run-of-the-mill workers mm-hmm. can actually be really, really successful. That's such a relief because, you know... Well, and think about it. That's 80% of the population. Absolutely. You want to have a, the traditional model, which is really designed to reward about 1% to 2% of your population. Mm-hmm. Or do you want an agile model that's designed to reward and help 80% of your population be successful? Yeah, that's precisely what I was thinking that, um, you know, most of us are average. So why not work in a, in a framework where it's possible for average folks, and I count me as one of those, as mm-hmm. in a position to do, to do well. So I've got a, exactly. yeah, I've got a personal I, bias against people who object to, to change and just reject new ideas because, mm-hmm. well, it doesn't fit the organization or it's not the way we've always done things. Should somebody like me head for the exit in such a non-agile company? 
I guess it depends on how non-agile we're talking about. And most companies have to deal with change and change management to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is opportunity for someone like you who is geared t- towards change and liking change to mm-hmm. um, be successful and be challenged because that's what it really is. If you like change, that means that you like to be challenged. You like to learn new things. You're willing to take a risk. Um, and try something new, right? right? Yeah. And the differences in agile organizations, that becomes a routine part of your life, mm-hmm. right? You're, the scrum teams and the people who are supporting the scrum teams are being asked continuously, how can we do better? Yes. Um, and that, that really does appeal to a large number of, of people. We are the the life form on the planet Earth that are the only ones who change our physical environment to suit our needs. Mm-hmm. That's it. We're the only ones. We build yeah. houses. We make clothes. We invented heating and air conditioning. We, you know, control fire. You know, <laughs> we do that. And it demonstrates our need to continuously improve. Yes. And push ourselves, and how do we do this better? Yeah, that's uh, that's such a good word. Um, and uh, like with the other stuff, I'm I'm really happy to hear that. So when a company's leadership is is sincere, genuinely sincere about about becoming agile, what are the steps they should take first? I usually recommend, and we've talked about this before, is you know, either starting with a, a few scrum teams or I like to do um, sort of the minimum viable approach of we take one product mm-hmm. and we agile the entire product uh, top to bottom and we figure out then the answers to these questions around accounting and legal and compliance. And what are the infrastructure gaps? So do we have continuous integration? Do we have automated testing? Do we have scrum rooms? Um, do we have video webcams and video capabilities in the right software so that we can work with distributed scrum teams and solve all those problems with one product or service and then slowly roll it out I shouldn't say slowly, but then incrementally roll it out to your other uh, products, services, or value streams. Um, but, you know, we've talked about, you know, solving these um, operation questions. Those are those are big issues, and mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to do it up front with a smaller program or product than it is to try and solve it for your entire enterprise. Yeah, I guess it's sort of like if you were going to eat a big sandwich, you wouldn't eat it all at once. You'd do it a bite at a time. Exactly. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to use analogies that I understand, and eating a big sandwich is <laughs> definitely one, one of them. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> so after we've uh, taken those first steps and, and started on our big sandwich, after the first steps, how do how do committed leaders maintain the organization's focus on agile transformation? All right. So here's another opportunity for me to give you some ugly truth. Okay. The 
diplomatic answer is um, you continue to roll out your agile methodology to your entire organization and, you know, have dedicated continuous improvement, right. blah, blah, blah. The honest answer is that leaders need to change their own behavior. That's mm-hmm. the only way you can transform an organization. So every executive and even the board should be asking themselves, are they being agile leaders? What do they need to do differently? And one of the symptoms that I look for is, are they still doing status reports? Mm-hmm. Status reports are out of date as soon as they're published. So they always have limited um, viability. And they rarely are metric-based. There's a lot of words on them mm-hmm. <laughs> more often than metrics. And so they aren't fact-based. They're a great tool for diplomacy and politicking. Yes. They're not a great tool for actually really understanding the health of your organization and for decision-making. Um, so that's why I always look at status reports and see if those are still going on. Um but the biggest thing is I challenge executives and boards to look at their own behavior. Are they adopting the servant leader model yes. and being agile leaders? That is the best way and the only guaranteed way to change the culture of your organization and truly become an agile organization. So it sounds like it's um, up to them to really model good behavior or that kind of Agile behavior, if we could coin a term today. Exactly. So the traditional organization embraces control and hierarchy. Most organizations embrace this style of management. What do you say to those who were and remain successful without Agile? Well, what's kind of fascinating is we've seen a lot of uh, science behind this. And even organizations that aren't agile, that go to the servant leader model, outperform organizations that are in the illusion of control and hierarchy model. Mm-hmm. And that's, to be honest with you, goes back to the science of agile. We in Agile, fully embrace the servant leader model, one, because it's completely compatible with Agile values and practices, but also because the science tells us over and over and over again that it's the only leadership model that we have that works the best, that delivers higher business value and higher quality. So that's why we use it. (laughs) And what we've learned is that's true even of organizations that use 100% waterfall. I come from early in my career, everybody knows this, I started on American Express. American Express in the early 90s, actually I think it was earlier than that, but I wasn't around, um, they started the servant leader model. I grew up in the servant leader leader model. And we were one of the best, highest-performing waterfall shops in the industry. Everybody knew we did project management better than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And when they would ask our CEO why, he would tell them. Because we're not command and control. We're not hierarchical. We have our respect, roles, and responsibilities mm-hmm. and, and all that. But this is a servant leader organization. Yeah, and I think the results speak for themselves, don't they? Well, especially during those years. I mean, we way outperformed our competition. Yeah. It seems like 
Agile has a bit of an identity problem or maybe a public relations challenge. So, Ren, if you ran the world, how would you change that perception? Oh, geez. And you know I like to run the world. Um, <laughs> I think the biggest thing is for people to understand that Agile is a profession. We have professional standards. We have professional guidelines, um, just like we do with traditional waterfall methodologies. Mm-hmm. Um, we have certifications. The practices that we say, this is an Agile practice or even this is an Agile best practice, have been tested. They've been peer-reviewed. This isn't just about being flexible. And I just heard that of a client last week. Agile just means being flexible. Uh. Yeah, Agile in terms of gymnastics, mm-hmm. but we're not working <laughs> in gymnastics. This is... You know, we're working on software. Agile is a profession. Right. And we profess the things we do only because we know if you do behavior A, you will get outcome by A. Right. Right. We don't do this because it's what Rin thinks. Mm-hmm. It's not based wholly on my experience or any individual's experience. Every single thing we do is tried and true. Right. So the way you wouldn't just, you know, call up you Harold and say, "Hey, could you, I, you know, I, you know, I hear epidectomy just means you remove an organ, but you can do that, Harold." Sure. <laughs> yeah. Where's my skeleton? <laughs> we have we have the same professional standards um, in in agile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are. Um Lots of people who think that because they're successful barbecue chefs that they should open restaurants. And um, it sounds like, uh, you know, the same kind of thing that, and to your point earlier, agile doesn't just mean limber or um, stretchy. There's a hierarchy. There are definite things that have to get done for an organization to be truly agile and um, roles for leadership. Mostly on science. Yes. There's some of this that is art, but the truth is we've been working very hard to minimize the art of Agile and maximize the science. And I think about when I entered traditional project management, it was in the late 90s, and we were going through that, the, the same kind of thing then of people were thinking, well, anybody could call themselves a, a project manager. Mm-hmm. They weren't taking the profession seriously. Right. At the time when the profession had removed almost all of the art of being a good project manager and had figured out 90% of the science. In Agile, we're pretty, we're pretty similar. We figured out about 80 to 90% of the science. And the art is, is, is pretty minimized at this point. And I think that means that we've achieved our, the level of professionalism that you can expect from, from any group of people. Well, that's well said. Well said as always. And for those of you listening, not on Ren's website, she does have one and it's www.renmelberg.com. There's a lot of people who listen on SoundCloud and a lot of people who listen on outlets for MP3s all over the web. 
probably a lot of them we don't even know about, but we do know about SoundCloud and we do about know about some of the others. So if you want to be in touch with Ren, go to her website, renmelberg.com. Thanks for listening. Please tell your friends about the podcast and come back again next week for another edition of The Guardian Podcast with Ren Melberg.